Hi, everyone. This is Dan, audio engineer of the Art of Costume blogcast. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and all of the support, reviews, and messages you've given us so far. I'd like to also let you know, if you're interested in supporting the show, you can now head over to patreon.com slash theartofcostume. Your support there would be greatly appreciated and would help us continue to run the podcast, create quality content for you, and bring light to the world of costume design. For our patrons, we'll be posting highlights, funny moments, and even unheard bloopers. We'll also be posting additional episodes just for Patreon. So once again, make sure to check out patreon.com slash theartofcostume for full details. You can also support us by heading to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. There you can buy an awesome blogcast shirt, print, coffee mug, and a whole host of other possibilities from TeePublic. Thank you for all you do, and enjoy the show. She was uh, leaving in her, um, what I call the shadow dress, which is the only time we see it is in the shadows. Um, she turned to me and said, you know, Lewis, this is a damn fine frock. And I thought, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. You know, so so that's my Kate story. And she's divine, amazing lady, super appreciative. costume broadcast i'm elizabeth joy glass and i'm spencer williams hey elizabeth hey spencer how's it going it's going uh do you have any new year's resolutions no i don't do that because i don't know what the year is gonna be have you seen the last two years you <laughs> yeah, never know that's fair I'm just gonna do my best and keep going i actually have a new year's resolution that's inspired by you just for you if you want to see just for me my new year's resolution is to drink water are you drinking real water and not Lacroix anymore <laughs> real water i got rid of soda i got rid of Lacroix, kind of and now i'm drinking like a gallon of water a day i'm proud of you i'm feeling glowing i could do anything i can see it already i'm just gonna have to take like six bathroom breaks during this podcast but you know i think that's healthy well eh, <laughs> sure <laughs> Oh, well, Elizabeth, what are we watching this week? What are we watching, Spencer? We are watching Nightmare Alley. Ugh, I love this movie so, so, so much. It was so fun. I know. I was so excited because we did Crimson Peak not that long ago. And then I was like, yes, another Guillermo del Toro. And then it was just like everything I wanted. It was amazing. So let's just jump into it. You got a summary for us, Spencer? I did, and it was on time this week, so you didn't have to yell at me. <laughs> All right, here we go. Nightmare Alley. Down on his luck, Stanton Carlyle endears himself to a clairvoyant and her mentalist husband at a traveling carnival. Using newly acquired knowledge, Carlo crafts a golden ticket to success by swindling the elite and wealthy. Hoping for a big score, he soon hatches a scheme to con a dangerous tycoon with help from a mysterious psychiatrist who might be his most formidable opponent yet. 
And that is the best way I could summarize it. Honestly, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into when I saw the movie and I loved every second of it. Same, same. (laughs) If you haven't seen the movie and you care about spoilers, stop here. Get yourself to a theater. Like, don't waste any time. Just go see it. You're not going to be disappointed. Run immediately. Wear a mask and run immediately. Wear a mask. Run to the theater. (laughs) And I'm just so excited to go behind the wardrobe for this one because we have... Guillermo del Toro. Of course. One of our favorites. And the amazing costume designer, Louis Cicada. Best of all, for our Behind the Wardrobe Facts, we have Louis with us today. Louis, welcome to the studio. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good. We're so excited. We've been talking about this for way back during season one. (laughs) Awesome. True. So uh, we're just so excited to have you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump right into our interview. We have like two million questions. So I hope you are drinking your water, too, because we have a long road ahead of us. I have a tall glass of water. I do indeed. Perfect. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to talk to Lewis here. Uh, let's just jump right into this interview. We are so excited. Um, but first, before we get into the brilliant costuming of Nightmare Alley, I need to dive into your background a little bit. You have designed the costumes for some incredible projects, such as Carrie, The Thing, Mama, The Strain. One of my personal favorites, It Chapter 2. I'm a big It nerd. Um, Elizabeth knows that, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the film that led to your first Oscar nomination, The Shape of Water. Did you always know you're going to be a costume designer? And were you always into horror monsters and thrillers? Because that kind of seems like a trend. But then also, I believe you were assistant costume designer on Mean Girls, right? I was. I was. So, I mean, my background was fashion and I had a small store in Toronto where I, I did my own fashion line. And I also um, showcased young Canadian designers. Um, and that was a, a vehicle to, to get some more um, visibility for us. And I met a shopper, a, a buyer for a David Cronenberg movie. And uh, they purchased some things for the movie and they were impressed. And they said, oh, you should really come and take a look. And, you know, I caught the bug. I walked onto a set and I was, you know, I always loved theater in school and, and but I definitely caught the bug and I um, became a wardrobe trainee and, and worked my way up. So as for your question in regards to the kinds of things that, that I do, uh, Toronto seems to be a hub for this kind of genre. It's where the Saw series started. And, and so it just kind of fell into my lap and I've done things like being Erica, which was a, uh, comedy series, and uh, I did indeed work on Mean Girls, which was uh, not a, not a horror by by uh, classic state status. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's such like a wide variety of things. That's why I loved loved looking at you know your list of projects. I was so excited to talk to you. Uh, jumping into Nightmare Alley, so this was not your first time working with Guillermo del Toro. You worked with him on The Shape of Water. Just tell us a little bit about that partnership, especially because he seems like a director who's very invested in the role costume plays. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I met I met Guillermo um, when I worked. Uh, I actually met him very briefly when he was in Toronto shooting Mimic many, many moons ago. Uh, and I was doing uh, a series in an adjacent studio and I knew the costume designer. But I uh, met Guillermo for the first time coming out of a fitting room with Jessica Chastain in her transformation for Mama. And um, we were anticipating seeing Andy and Barbara Muschietti as we opened the door and there was Guillermo to our surprise. And, you know, his reaction was, holy man, that looks beeping amazing. So uh, that was my official, uh, hello, my name is Louis uh, to Guillermo. Um, and then I was lucky enough for him to ask me to do The Strain after that, uh, where he directed the, the pilot and then uh, continued working with him for three years on that. And then we were, um, we were in a production meeting and he kind of interrupted the production meeting and said, and you're going to have to let Lewis leave early because I want him to do my next movie, oh. uh, which was a total <laughs> shocker to both myself and, and the producers. Um, so that was also a great uh, segue to working with that film. So, you know, he's, he's an amazing um, filmmaker, obviously. I've been a fan of his um, way back uh, from the Devil's Backbone uh, film, which is, I think, one of... Uh, his uh, early brilliant moments uh, in um, cinematic uh, history. And so pleased that he's, uh, you know, allowing me to be part of his uh, collaboration. Right. Awesome. So for this one, what was like the general starting point for your inspiration? Because I I read an interview where he did tell you to watch the original movie, but then it was like, we're going to take a, like a hard turn from this. Well, he said, did you watch the original movie? And I mean, I'd, I'd seen it before Turner Classic Movies. I'd seen it uh, <laughs> on its rotation. Uh, nice little plug there. But um, uh, then I, I actually had had watched it. And he said, OK, good. You watched it. That's it. He really didn't want us to be following the movie per se. Um, in fact, he had some some notes on the movie style wise that he wasn't really excited about. So uh, for me, it really was about building these, these uh, worlds that we were going to come together on. And that, you know, started with tons and tons of research, photojournalism, portraits, fashion catalogs. I am a bit of a research hoarder. So I have uh, lots and lots of, uh, catalogs and and books and and files and a digital library that I keep you know if I'm up late at night I'll start just doing research and throwing it into my digital catalog uh, my digital library um, <laughs> I love that. so uh you know and I had books that I bought you know 20 years ago that I just loved the books and and then they came in so handy on this on this project um and that's the beauty of of when you are invested you know, you don't need a reason to buy a beautiful thing to to one day be able to use it. Right. Uh, but yes, we started with tons of 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 research and putting together boards, uh, both for the characters and the BG, and and looking at one world and where it sat in time, and and then our other world and where where that world was to sit. Because as you know, the the story only takes place over two years, but we had to create this kind of chasm of style notes and and just a, a different world from the carnival to the city. Right. Yeah, there definitely is like a huge gap there. And I was also reading because, you know, films, you get a lot from costume houses. I was reading that all the costume houses in America you were going to to like, you know, kind of fill that out were all sold out. 
And so you ended up going over to Europe. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the crazy thing is, you know, the first thing you do is you call Western and you call, uh, you know, you call all the rental houses in LA and Palace and you say, hey, how's it going? And we're doing 30s. Uh, what's your stock looking like? And and they were quite frank. And they said, well, you know, frankly, we only have Drek. We only have Drek left <laughs> right now. Um, and we can't tell you uh, when it will be coming back. And that was because there was... Um, you know, three or four projects all doing the same period. And, and you know, at first it was like, oh, that's going to be a big problem for us. And I spoke to Guillermo about it and he's like, you know, I really, I really love the costumes um, out of Spain and maybe we need to look at Europe. And I'm like, well, we're definitely going to have to do that. So um, I was, I was so fortunate to, to then um, go to uh, Rome and Madrid and London and, you know, collect clothing, uh, costumes for, for the extras. But in the same token, when I was there, I was taking advantage of those locations and buying fabric and buttons and um, accessories and checking out all the street markets and Portobello and the Madrid markets. And I even uh, hopscotched over to Portugal for a few days and, and did a bit of market uh, buying in Porto. So um, it was a happy accident, yeah. you know. At the end of the day, we did get stuff from from Palace and Western and, and and PCC and other companies because we had gone for like a year and a half. And again, going back to the the two separate worlds, there was no way to rent those costumes for the entire time. So, you know, I was again fortunate to have to go back and do another pull for the second part of the movie. Again, happy accident with COVID. I had to do it a third time because we came back after six months of going down. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a unique way to, to obviously open up the, the avenues and contacts and, and different companies and see a totally different stock that we generally don't get to have access to. Yeah. It definitely paid off because it's, it's a very interesting looking film and, because I always find it funny, like you see those things online where it's like, oh, this was used in this, this and this film. I'm like, doubt that's happening with, <laughs> with this movie. <laughs> Speaking of two different working in two different worlds, like you said, you had to shut down for COVID. So coming back from that had to be interesting. I mean, yeah, when we, we had shot, you know, I don't know whether you heard, but we had shot a master of a scene on a Thursday um, morning and at lunch, it was decided that we were going to go down. Just midday? Midday. Wow. Not even like at nighttime? Came back from lunch and that was, I think, March uh, 17th. It was announced that we were going to go down. And so in the office, uh, we had the remainder of Thursday, we had Friday and we came back on a Monday. Uh, literally to shut everything down. Wow. So we bought uh, we bought plastic tarps and we hermetically sealed everything because we didn't know how long it was going to be. They'd spoken about a couple of weeks and then it grew to like a month and then a two months and three months. And so we, we basically archived the entire uh, wardrobe department, uh, which was very weird to come back to, I have to say, six months later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in, in the meantime, we, you know, I had to call the, uh, all of our rental houses and say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're still down. And so it was, you know, unprecedented times. So we, we obviously nobody knew what was what was going down. But yeah, so that really extended what was already a long project that much further. Well, that's interesting. And, you know, 
it, it's amazing that the film came out as brilliant as it was with, after everything the entire team had to go through. So it's really a testament to your brilliant work and everyone in the film industry. So I'm really excited to start diving into the costumes here. Like you mentioned, this film is really split into two different worlds. Uh, you kind of mentioned some of the benefits, but do you feel like this really ultimately led to helping you? Was it was there some problems with the two different worlds? Do you find benefits in it? It sounds complicated, but maybe kind of fun in a way. Well, here's, I mean, I equate, you know, filmmaking is usually like a big jigsaw puzzle. And so if you look at that jigsaw puzzle and, and you, you know, you will, in essence, you could be a little overwhelmed. So we, we really had to address what we were, you know, as in this section and that section. And, and I think early on, we, we had a little bit of a flip-flop as to whether we were going to start with the city or the, or the country, which was a little, a little uh, daunting. But once we got that straightened out, we, were, we proceeded. But really, it was about bite-sized pieces of each of those worlds. That being said, you know, um, when I went to Europe and I was buying fabrics and, and all those things, I was thinking about the totality of the movie. But in actual fact, the the building and the and the, the styling, the extras and all of that obviously had to be done as it was flowing into the shooting schedule. Okay, so let's dive into one of my favorite parts, which was actually the beginning of the movie, the carnival scenes. It was so beautiful. Um, it really just kind of, it almost felt like we were going into a whole different world. But, um, you know, like you mentioned, this is 1930s. So these costumes were fantastic. There's Madame Zena, the clairvoyant, Bruno, the strongman, Molly, who's being electrocuted. I don't know what you call that specific role. I imagine a lot of fun research went into this part of film. I personally also love research. That's like my favorite part of it. I have to imagine all of this was just so much fun to put together. Totally. And I mean, what, what you see in the film a little bit, but it's not really, uh, you know, explained out is that there's a lot of rain in the carnival. And so all the characters had multiples of their costumes, which, you know, basically meant we had to build it all and we had to age it all. Um, And so, uh, and even the carnies had multiples. So there was an inordinate amount of building and aging. I had a, you know, a team of 50 people in general on our, our crew. And, and that was five cutters and over 12 sewers and a team of uh, eight doing all the aging. So it, it became, you know, it was quite, you don't see it on screen, suffice to say, but, but it was, it was quite complicated um, in the sense of basically finding the fabrics and, and making the clothes and aging them out and, and uh, making sure that they looked as natural, basically turning your costumes back into clothes. Is there like a plethora of research out there to look into what these kind of vintage carnivals look like? I imagine this, there might be some reference for you. Yeah, there were, there were definitely some, uh, there's some great uh, reference, you know, our binder, our reference binder uh, was, uh, I believe, four, four inch binders, double faced, and then we did boards. Um, and so we, we, you know, we had quite a bit of research to create, to give us the inspiration and the feel and the, the kind of instruction for everybody, you know, from, for myself and the cutters to the BG um, supervisors Again, trying to give everybody a sense of uh, time and place. And, and that wasn't necessarily exactly at that time. As you know, 
we all wear old clothes. We all have our favorite pair of jeans or our favorite jacket. And, and so this was kind of what we did in, in the carnival as well, is we really wanted to spread out that time zone. It was not just all 1938. A lot of those people didn't have a ton of money. And so we had some early 30s uh, clothing sprinkled in and even some late 20s. Oh, I love that. And as you, you kind of already got into this, but we're big fans of the aging process. It's one of my favorite parts also. And the people at the carnival go through considerable amounts of stress, especially in their costumes. It's like raining constantly. There's blood. There's chicken feathers, which I don't want to get into. There's dirt. There's mud. <laughs> I mean, uh, and I know you, there's no way, you've definitely done lots of aging in your films before. So I imagine this must have been a lot of fun. Are there any like fun processes you went through in this film that you want to bring us in on? Well, you know, every project brings brings some some new identifying you know elements. And for us, one of the I found one of the interesting things regarding uh, aging some of the leathers because those leather jackets that you saw in the movie were literally just built, and then we had to age them um, out. And we used um, technique with beeswax, uh, which uh, we painted with a light layer of beeswax, and then melted the beeswax into the leather without burning the leather. Um, and that ended up uh, creating um, that crackle texture, um, which was kind of really helpful uh, because I've got, I've, you know, we've got some images where we have a, the brand new leather jacket on one side and, and the old leather jacket as it, it's aged. Um, and so really it was about finding um, not only the best methods, but the most uh, timely and, and um, easy methods to, to age and dye and, and airbrush and sand and grind to take all these clothes that were brand new and make them look like they had uh, a long history of being thrown into a tickle trunk between <laughs> one location and the other and then pulled back out. Oh, I love that so much. I could just watch. I wish I could just sit in your studio and just watch your team do the aging process. <laughs> well, I wish I could too. I mean, I love going in there and I'm always trying to uh, problem solve with them. It's really, you know, they really are artists. You know, Guillermo demands that kind of attention to detail and that uh, clothes look really wrecked. And so much to the chagrin of our of our amazing costume builders, where they make everything look so perfect, we then take it to the other side of our of our workroom and make it look all old and, and ratted down. The effects certainly did work, especially in contrast to the city when Stan and Molly leave to go do their own show, it becomes so high fashion. Where did you draw your inspiration for the city and the kind of like curated look for their show? It felt like a whole new movie suddenly. Yeah. And it was, it was, you know, it was a whole different um, aesthetic on, on fabrics. And I worked with a fabrics that had some sheen and some shadow and, and texture in a different way than, than in the carnival in regards to, the style notes uh obviously there were there were a lot of star starlit kind of movie star imagery that we we looked towards and uh, speaking back to research i have this incredible book that's an italian publication that i purchased in i want to say when the earth was cooling in the 80s and uh <laughs> it's uh it was a, a time capsule of 1938 menswear and and with a with a centerfold thing that pulls out and it had 
the ties, with the shirting, with the puffs, with the jackets, with the suits, with the coats. And so right there was kind of this roadmap, this incredible roadmap of understanding the aesthetic of the day. And uh, to that point, I was lucky enough um, to acquire a couple of suits out of the UK that were never worn before 1939 suits uh, with their tags still in play. And, and we were able to copy those so that it was literally, you know, that time period. It was not a, um, we made some slight adjustments for just fit, but we were able to really isolate those, those um, proportions, right? So it was really fun to put together that kind of um, you know, Stan's closet and then Ezra's closet and, and the other gentleman in the film and in menswear where it's so subtle, uh, really laying in those subtleties um, so that they each had a distinct look. Yeah. Talking about Stan, Bradley Cooper did such an amazing job um, bringing him to life. Is he he seems like an actor who's very committed. Did he have like a lot of input with his costume, what he felt the character should look like? What was interesting about 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 Bradley is I sent him some of the imagery. We had a we had a chat, and then I sent him some of the imagery. And what's what's wonderful about Guillermo too is that he understands that things take time. So uh, we were able to uh, not only not only with Stan but also Kate get both of them in quite early. And so uh, uh, Guillermo sat in on uh, Bradley's fitting, and we just tried things on and the character just kind of came to life literally in that room, in that first, first fitting. And we had the, the bare bones of the, the quintessential plaid jacket and the tails and the suits and the coats. And again, you know, I have my, my tailors and sewers to thank that we were able to really, you know, get those looks and get from concept to, to fruition. And so, you know, everyone was really excited after that first fitting because it's like, hey, this is this is this is Stan, and and then this is Stan, and 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 of course we made some slight alt- modifications, and um, as 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 one does, but it harked back to my story earlier about Jessica Jessica Chastain. It's like that is the most exciting part of of. There's two parts in costuming, I find, or three, actually. It's like, you know, collecting the stuff and, and you know, putting those those looks and, and thinking those those characters out. It's the fitting process and where those characters come to life. And then lastly, it's when it's on set and you're committing, committing it to film. I think that's, you know, the last supercharged, exciting element to costume design. Right, because that's like the beautiful moment suddenly where they see themselves in their costume and suddenly like, I am Stan or I am the clairvoyant. I am, you know, the Carney. That's that's such the beauty of costume design that we love so much. Yeah, and I mean, and they, they so appreciate it. I mean, it, to the point where it really just becomes part of them. So they're not, you know, they're not thinking that they're wearing a costume. They're just wearing the, the clothing that their character would wear. And, and again, when Kate and Bradley were in that office for the first time, you know, the office is like unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. Um, and the, ta- the tailoring of both their, their costumes, I have to say, you know, so, so happy with that. And um, we all were like, wow, this is, this is pretty special. And, and that's, you know, that's rewarding in itself, regardless of anything else. That's, that's really um, one of those things where the reward pays off when you, when you see the ideas come to fruition and then you're in front of the lighting and and the hair and the makeup and it's um it's it's beautiful 
Uh, speaking of beautiful, <laughs> Elizabeth and I are huge Lord of Rings fans slash nerds. It's it's really bad, actually. And with that, we essentially worship Kate Blanchett. Every single time Kate's character came on screen, it basically gave me chills, took my breath away. Um, a lot of that had to do with the costuming, the way that the lights hit her costumes. I mean, just everything about it. Just talking about, I just kind of forgot we're in an interview and I'm just talking about Kate Blanchett. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what was it like working with Kate? And please describe the concept behind her costumes. I mean, they're just absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you. With Kate, I think it really was about portraying old money, uh, high fashion of the moment, uh, again, to to show a, a complete uh, turnaround from our carnival life yeah. and a, a complete other world from even what Stan um, Stan was having in in that in that uh, part of the film. I mean, he was in the room. He was uh, one of the you know performers, but he wasn't that. And so with with Kate's costuming, we we really wanted to include beautiful, impeccable tailoring and design and glamour and um, you know an ode to film noir, even though it's you know not black and white; it's in color. But I really want to play with with the different colorings and, and for instance, with the velvets, uh, we did uh, camera tests with different colors just to really make sure that, uh, you know, velvet really eats up light. And so uh, what you think will look, uh, what looks good in our eye. And when you see it on camera, it really can look drastically different. So that was like a great study. And the same thing with the satins um, and the silks and even the black suit, as, as I said, it's a sting, it has a stingray gloss, uh, pattern to it um, so that we were able to actually um, see the outlines and, and, the, and the detailing of uh, that suit. So in, in working with Kate, she was in town doing Miss America. So I was able to meet with her and take her measurements. And, and we worked on a, on a complete block for her, which was amazing. Uh, very often you don't do that. Very often you you get measurements from afar. You you build and uh, you adjust. <laughs> you hope for the best. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but with this, she was in town. We were able to see her uh, on a couple of occasions. One to take her measurements and then to uh, to actually fit some blocks on her. And we were golden after that. Once you have a block, you you are really quite golden. In regards to style notes, there was a. Uh, a wonderful 19, um, 1940, 1939 Paris sketchbook that I had that had uh, artists that had gone to the shows and, and uh, sketched all the little details from various collections. And none of them were actually named, but they were just all the, the looks that were very Parisian. And so we looked at that and, and we both you know, found you know, the blouse that has the extended yoke. That was a detail that came uh, specifically um, from that year. And so I decided I wanted to, to do that. Um, so yeah, that, that's really how that came together. And to my credit, I, when we were about to go onto camera and we, she was uh, leaving in her, um, what I call the shadow dress, which is the only time we see it is in the shadows. Um, she turned to me and said, you know, Lewis, this is a damn fine frock. And I thought, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. You know, so, so that's, that's my Kate story. And she's, you know, divine, amazing lady, super kind, um, super appreciative. And uh, uh, the other thing that she did not to go on is that in the fitting room, she no, really, please do go on. Yeah. She moved <laughs> in the costume. And so she leaned and she stood, you know, she leaned back and she sat and we really 
we really identified, you know, any kind of preliminary problems that might have arisen, for instance, where the button sat. So the button had to, you know, we moved the button so that when she was sitting, it wasn't going to jog the, the jacket up over up above her shoulder. So these are things that, that I do anyway, but it was great to see that we were doing it together. Wow. I mean, you just gave me so much life just now. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And, you know, you talking about, you know, you took a lot of inspiration from, you know, the Europe fashion of the time, thinking about Rooney Mara as Molly. She has a very different style and vibe from Kate Blanchett in those scenes. And, and a lot of times she almost seems uncomfortable in her city life. Like what, what were you looking at when for Molly? Yeah, I mean, so here's here's what we 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 talked about that was that Stan, when he left the the country, uh, we, I, I have this anecdote that he just took all his clothes and burnt them, <laughs> like he he didn't want anything to do with that life. Um, whereas uh, Molly um, kept you know some of her her cherished pieces from from the country to the city, and in in my mind's eye, when designing. It really, it felt like Stanton was deciding what she would wear and Stanton was styling her. Um, and so... I got that vibe too. Yeah. And so <laughs> so everything was, you know, it was very stylized, but kind of not old money and uh, probably too defined for Molly's character. The red was too strong for Molly in comparison to to the reds and the burgundies that she wore in the... In the carnival and so we what we did in in regards to having that thread through is we kept some of the pieces she wore in the carnival um to um that she would wear um when she was just wanting to feel more cozy and comfy um as things were starting to unravel and in fact you know some of those clothes were the were were the costume the costume that she wore leaving was was uh, included some of those clothes wow we could talk about Nightmare Alley forever. The costumes are just absolutely brilliant. I feel another Oscar nomination in your future, but that's just me. Thank you. Uh, we love this so, so much. Thank you for joining us. Are there any future projects we might see you a part of in the future? Well, I'm actually uh, just finishing up a Netflix project for uh, with Guillermo called Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh, yay! Uh, which is um, an anthology series of... Uh, of short movies, I want to say they're they're bigger than an episode and smaller than a huge feature, <laughs> uh, but they are um, kind of a Twilight Zone ish feeling. Uh, different periods, different situations, different um, curated stories from the imagination of uh, Guillermo. Wow, that sounds so fun! Elizabeth and I could be all over that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that that should be out. You know, this uh, that should be out later this year on Netflix. Oh, awesome. awesome. Louis Cicada, thank you so much for joining us. We, I've been looking forward to meeting you for a very long time now, and I'm so glad it finally happened, especially with one of my favorite movies right now, Nightmare Alley. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a, a real pleasure. I appreciate it. Elizabeth. One of our best interviews. <laughs> we hardly had to do anything. We just sat there and listened to him talk like we were children and I loved it. I was like, yes, 
I can listen to you all day. I want to know everything. Yeah, I mean, honestly, he's one of my favorite costume designers. He's done so many great things. It Chapter 2, The Shape of Water. He's just... I Shape love, of Water is so beautiful. I just love Louis Cicada's style. It's just... Ugh. And then Nightmare Alley. Honestly, this is one of my favorite films. And I've only seen it once. But I'm just really in love with this movie right now. I... His costumes are amazing. The whole look of the film is like, it's beautiful. It's another one of those where you almost, you're like, wait, what's going on? I was too busy looking at the beautiful, interesting movie. Right. I like, I was telling the truth. I love the carnival scenes. They were just, I felt like we're just in a different world and just, there was so much to look at. And, you know, the production designers, set builders, I mean, they, they're getting Oscars for sure. Like it was just brilliant, brilliant work. Also, like, I loved how traumatizing it was at times. You know, I was not expecting. I learned a lot from this film. I did not realize that this geek thing in carnivals was actually a real thing. I went into a Google wormhole the other day. And as a wormhole, I wish I never jumped down. Um, Dude, carnivals were messed up back in the day. Yeah, I mean, they're terrible. Ugh. But this one I liked. <laughs> this one I liked. Because uh, it had Tony Colette. It had Hellboy. <laughs> William Defoe, who he is. William Defoe. He is up to some trouble lately, and I love him for it. I know. It was so funny because the day before I'd gone to see Spider-Man and then I saw and I was like, yes, Willem Dafoe. (laughs) Oh, I said William. I just, I was yesterday years old when I realized his name is Willem. Willem? It's not William. Willem Dafoe? It's not William. We're so sorry, Mr. Dafoe. (laughs) It's not William. I don't think. I'm Googling it. Actually, that I'm looking at it right now and it's definitely an E-M at the end. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, why? I guess because my last name is Williams. I just assume that like that's just how it has to be. I guess I don't know, Mister Defoe. We love you, and also yes. Tony Collette kicked some ass in this film. I love her. She is anytime she's in anything. I already know I'm gonna like it. Oh, amazing! And Ron Perlman just being Ron Perlman. Yeah, like I don't I don't care where you put Ron Perlman. Like, I'm going to love it. <laughs> I love how we saved all this, like, fan part <laughs> to after Lewis is gone because we just couldn't explode in front of him. <laughs> I know. Because it's like, like, every single person popped up on screen. I was like, oh, you're here. You're here. Amazing. Right. Even, um, even when suddenly Mary Stein. Bergen showed up. The mom from Elf is what I call her. I was like, oh shit, I can't believe she's here too. Like, this was just so great. And then, um, Jim, Jim Bever, I think that's his name. Oh, yeah. Who is, he's the sheriff. He's the dad in Crimson Peak and Bobby Singer on Supernatural. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing in a, in like, (laughs) such a small role? Uh, I just love this film, and I, you know, I'm serious. I really think it's going to be nominated for an Oscar. It has to be. I think so, too, because, like, A, the work he put into that. Yeah. Like, just making brand new leather coats and then aging them to look, like, 20, 30 years old. It's beautiful. And just, like, the amount of work he had to basically create two totally different looks for this film. Incredible. 
that despite the challenges he had to go through, I mean, everyone had to go through at this time, having a shutdown for COVID. Like, I yeah. don't, I can't even like do homework. And then if I stop for a second, suddenly I'm just thrown off and I can't finish it. You know, <laughs> like I, know. I need a hundred percent focus. And, you know, I feel like if you were to take the carnival part of the film, like that's an Oscar nomination right there. And then if you took the second part of film in New York, like that's another <laughs> Oscar nomination. Louis C.K. should be nominated for two Oscars this year. He could be nominated just for Kate Blanchett's wardrobe. Like, I mean, don't even get me started. Do not get me started. The fabrics in this film also were like killer. Spencer, I, I think we need to focus in a little bit. How about you? I think so. Elizabeth, do you know what time it is? It is time to play. The one costume to rule them all. Are you ready, Elizabeth? I'm ready. Spencer, start us off. Okay, so this one for me was actually a no-brainer. I knew immediately when I saw this costume that this was my one costume to rule them all. It is obviously... I mean, you all know what I'm going to say. Kate Blanchett's gray velvet cape dress that she wears in the second half of the film is just so stupid good. I just, I can't even, I can't even talk about it. It's just so beautiful. Every time she was on screen, I felt like I was going to start crying. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Like, it, it, it's so Kate Blanchett. Like, it just, how it looks on her, it just like enhances how beautiful she is but then like with the cape and like the color of the velvet like it makes she's a very mysterious character dr lilith ritter and that just like amplifies it right and just like the way the light hits her it reminds me of when we talked about the adams family and morticia adams angelica houston when the light yes i said light weird when the light when the light hit right across her face, like this was giving me that vibes. And I just, everything about this costume, it's going to be one of my favorite costumes for a long time. I'm obsessed with it. I'm not surprised, but that's what happened. I want to hand Lewis an Oscar just for this dress. Here you go, sir. Right. <laughs> my good sir. <laughs> my good sir. Here is an Oscar. Not that we have any control over that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Okay, Elizabeth, what is your choice? My choice is Xena the Seer. Yes. Her like official costume that she wears when she's doing her act. The just the the gold dress with the like turquoise gold robe, the head wrap. It's just it embodies the character that Xena in the movie has created. And it's so interesting to see like this character who is, you know, costumed and, you know, made up in the film, then creating another character for themselves. So I think that's such an interesting move. And this costume really, like, amplifies that and, like, what their carnival is all about. It's not about, you know, showing off real wonders of the world. It's about making everything shiny and, you know, having it be an act. And I think of all of them, Xena understands what they're there to do the most. Like she even goes out of her way to like correct people when they've taken, you know, her act too far. She's like, no, 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 yeah. I'm not, I can't, I have no powers. 
I'm just here to give you a good time. <laughs> and she dresses like it. So that is my choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. This was actually my second choice. Up until I saw Kay Blanchett, this is this was my one costume <laughs> to rule them all. Um, but I love it. I love that the fabric like even has like a vintagey feel to it. Almost yes. like she's been rewearing the same costume for like a long time. But just looks so beautiful. So why change it up? It gets better with age. Um, I just want to. I want to touch it. Like it feels soft. I yeah. know it does. But you know th- what costume rules this film is not up to us. It's up to you. Take the poll on our Instagram. Let us know if it is Kate Blanchett's beautiful velvet number, or is it Tony Colette's Xena the Seer extraordinaire costume check out our instagram and let us know yes send us a message let us know and we'll let you know in one of her future episodes who ended up winning one costume to rule them all yes it's Kate blanchett maybe you never know okay elizabeth nightmare alley was so fun but i'm dying to know what we're watching next week spencer (laughs) we are watching a favorite of mine a late (laughs) 2000s classic in my mind we are watching Pushing Daisies seasons one and two. Yay. <laughs> uh, so this was the show I was watching while we were on break because I knew this episode was coming and I really, really loved it. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, we haven't even really talked about it yet. You and I. So we have just excited. I'm excited too. <laughs> I hope you are all excited If you liked what you heard, give us a follow on Instagram. If you really loved us, a five-star text review would just be wonderful. Please. Please. We would really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week. I cannot wait to talk to you all. See you soon. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore or you can head over to patreon.com slash theartofcostume for some bonus content. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, Head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. Um, okay, so... Hey, win. What did you... I look over and her one ear is just like, like bent over on top of her head. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>